Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the pickup game. It is February 6, 2017. It is the morning after Super Bowl 51. And I am joined here by Allison Leslie, Gabby Reyna, and Jim Williams. We're going to break down the game. We're going to break down what it means in terms of NFL history, where this falls in the annals of the Super Bowl, and what this means for the Patriots, as well as whether the Falcons should be given the blew it kind of a um, label. So I think the easiest place to start is when did you start to think the Falcons really had this one? And when did you stop thinking that? I, I thought at halftime that things were kind of weird because the Patriots had made very little in the way of any adjustments. And, um, you know, Brady had kind of fumbled and bumbled his way down there. They ended up getting a field goal. They didn't get a touch. And, um, and they went into the, into the uh, halftime. And, and it looked to me, for whatever reason, and I've seen, this, these, I've seen these Patriots play a lot. Um, I, I just didn't think that they, they, they were off. And I thought, you know... Uh, Maybe the speed of the Atlanta defense um, and Dwight Freeney had played, you know, for 36 years old, Dwight Freeney was going out of his mind driving driving, um, Brady crazy, even though he didn't lay a hand on him that first half. But he was going crazy. The secondary was amazing. And Dan Quinn had created what I thought was a pretty good defensive scheme against Brady. So, you know, after the... Halftime had finished, and I enjoyed Lady Gaga, by the way. Um, and and uh, she might have been the most athletic person in the building. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, going forward, the, when they came out and, you know, Atlanta went and did nothing on the first possession, and uh, then New England went out and did nothing on the first possession, I thought, well, you know, this may be it. So I'm going to say... I was putting a lot on that first possession of the second half, so I thought at that point Atlanta might have salted it away. I agree. I started thinking the same thing at the start of the second half. I thought the New England Patriots would either come out and, you know, kind of get back into the swing and look like themselves and take this game over, or that was it. It was Atlanta's game. And on those first few drives, I really thought Atlanta had it at first. Honestly, I didn't think that the Falcons were out of it at all until that fourth quarter sack on Matt Ryan that made it fourth and 33. Mm -hmm. They had to punt, and they were out of field goal range, and it was officially two minutes or so left in the game, and Tom Brady could go down. And honestly, I mean, up until that point, it looked like Atlanta had just played with more heart and more desire, they really took on the underdog. And I thought there's no way that they give this game away because of how well they played, especially in the first half. And then I think it was just a bad play call. Landed them the, sorry, landed them the ha- having to uh, leave it to their defense, and it just didn't happen. Well, that, that's a good point, Gabby. And, you know, when the Patriots got the ball back after – that sack after they recovered the Matt Ryan fumble, they still needed to score two touchdowns and get two two-point conversions. They had only scored one touchdown to that point in the game and had settled for two field goals on what looked like critical drives where they needed touchdowns to get back in the game. 
So it really, for me, wasn't until they got the ball back the second time with 3.38 on the clock after a drive in which Atlanta handed them 38 seconds by hurrying their offense up for no good reason with a lead in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. And they handed the Patriots the ball back with a chance to go down the field. They got the touchdown. They got the two-point conversion. And there was a minute left, and Atlanta still gave the Patriots the ball back. There was only three seconds left at that point. But the fact that Atlanta still had the punt before the end of regulation mm-hmm. was shocking to me. And that's where I really knew there was no way Atlanta was going to get that miracle touchdown at the end. Once yeah. it became tied, I thought they were dead in the water. Well, you know, to me, guys, and and I'm old. Um, I've seen all 51 Super Bowls. 12 of them have actually covered. Uh, this one to me was the single most exciting because there was a lot of ebb and flow in that last part of the uh, of the game uh, you know we can take the first half and break that down and show that Atlanta came out and you know look if you talk to people who played in the game what they'll tell you is the moment they come out of the tunnel right now remember that You've practiced. I mean, this is the Super Bowl. So you have your family there. Everything that is normal is not when you go and you play in a Super Bowl. So you're, you're, there is no way to get comfortable with the surroundings or anything because it's, it's so foreign. That's why if a team has played in it, and certainly as many times as New England has played in it, they do have an advantage because they know what's going to mm-hmm. happen in that regard. So when Atlanta came out and didn't yeah. have those early jitters and actually you know, handled that part of it really well, and a lot of that goes to Dan Quinn actually taking his team to the stadium the day before, letting – you know Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and all of the the players just kind of walk around the locker room, get used to the surroundings and get used to you know walking out on the field and and just getting comfortable with being in the building and then going back home back to the hotel. I thought that was a very smart thing to do. So when they did come out, it wasn't the first time they had come out of that that tunnel. It wasn't the first time they had seen all this stuff and and you know I thought that that was a very uh very prudent thing for him to do to get you know Atlanta comfortable with the surroundings and I think that certainly paid off as they dominated without question the first half of that game the second quarter was one of the more impressive things I've seen happen against the Patriots in this whole run mm-hmm. that Brady and Belichick have had I I don't know about you but by the time it got to halftime, when it was 21-3, to when they pulled a pick six, like I said on Twitter, Robert Alford did his best Rondé Barber impression. It seemed like at that point they had the Patriots on their heels, which I've never seen anything like that in a playoff game. And keep in mind, the Patriots have played. They are a historic team themselves, but they've played a lot of teams that are on various all-time lists, especially ones where an offense along the lines of what Atlanta had. So while a lot's going to be said about how Atlanta performed in the second half, they have nothing to be ashamed of in that second quarter. That was an amazing yeah. play by the Falcons. After the, uh, during the, during the halftime show, I was seeing some comparisons of this game to the Bucks Raiders, as far as defensive dominance and just stopping an offense that was that huge. But, I mean, it obviously didn't turn out the same way. I think penalties do come into play as well, though. Um, When you're looking at it, Atlanta had quite a few penalties that stacked up against them and really hurt them there. Yeah, they racked up a lot of defensive holding penalties, especially in the second half. Mm -hmm. That's really when you started to notice that something was going on, that the Patriots were starting to find their footing on offense that Atlanta had to resort to hoping the refs missed holds toward the end of the third quarter just to get any kind of a stop. Well, I think, 
you know, to that point, guys, and you guys will let me know whether whether you agree or disagree. Um, those types of penalties are usually because the defense is either out of sync or they're tired. And um, as good as the you know Falcons were in the first half, they certainly didn't do any favors for their defense by at least staying on the field long enough to give them, you know, a rest in that mm-hmm. second half. And they yeah. started to get tired and you could see the fatigue on that team. And remember they were running they were running all over the field in the first half and again expending a lot of energy and expending mm-hmm. a lot of energy. So by the time they got midway through the third quarter, you could start to see that the Atlanta defense was sucking air, and they needed some help, and that offense didn't do um, didn't do them any uh, service. Yeah, yeah. I think that because it's on the losing side, we're not gonna we're not really gonna hear much about it. But a ton of credit needs to go to Grady Jarrett on the D, on the uh, Atlanta defense because it may not have been so much in the second half, but in the first half, he dominated that Patriots offensive line, getting to Tom Brady, giving him no time at all, and then ended up with three sacks, which I think is a record in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing too, Gabby, and to your point, um, if you look at throughout that entire, let's we like to call it the 18 points four minutes of of the final part of the game, uh, there were four consecutive times where Atlanta had a f- interception and didn't pull it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brady's passes were not that okay. sharp. Absolutely. The end zone was one. The Edelman one, which that phenomenal catch, we'll get back to that one, but that was a pick and they didn't do it. And uh, there were a couple of times they just flat dropped it. But second, the secondary of Atlanta, all, you know, all the way across the board, played a heck of a game. So you can't really get on their back either in that regard. Mm-hmm. No, they really – they just got worn down by a great coach and a great quarterback. And I think it's really easy to pin a lot of this loss on the Falcons. And they did make some mistakes late in the game that I'm sure – will be remembered as such, but it really is more about the Patriots winning as far as I'm concerned and about what Brady was able to do late and about what that brain trust of Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels was able to do to the to the Atlanta defense that had been effective, that had played up until the middle of the third quarter, that was the best defensive game Atlanta had played all season long. Yeah. It was a really great performance by them. And keep in mind, about halfway through the third quarter, after they had scored to make it 28-3 to and the Patriots were on their long drive that would eventually result in a touchdown, at a certain point, that deficit became greater than anything the Buffalo Bills faced in the 1992 comeback in the playoffs against the Houston Oilers that's regarded as the NFL's greatest comeback. So at one point, they were less likely to win than the 1992 Buffalo Bills were. You know, uh, to me, this is less about coaching and more about players making plays. Uh, I don't think Belichick coached a good game. I honestly don't. I, I think um, it probably some was very questionable play calls on his part. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I think Bill Belichick, you know, when it's all said and done, walked over and you know uh, should have kissed you know Tom Brady smack on the lips because that was <laughs> that was a player. There, you know, there are games where you look at it yeah. and say that's a coach's game. Okay, that's coaching. There's games mm-hmm. where it's just like this guy is gonna you know. This guy's going to kill me no matter what, okay? It doesn't matter. Peyton Manning had games like that where you would look at him and you go, you know, at the end of the game, you'd look and go, man, you know, we should have won that game, but Peyton Manning wouldn't let us. And in this case, it was a Tom Brady, you know, situation where Brady and his receivers and, 
Edelman and guys like that were just making plays all yeah. over the field. And yeah. you cannot coach that. That's desire. Think, uh, that's understanding where to be and how to make plays. And those guys made plays. They did. They stepped yeah. up. I think where yeah, I, I thought- disagree, though, is that the Patriots took the opportunity that the Falcons gave them. Right. And I think that in that case, it falls on Kyle Shanahan because I, I mentioned this before, but in the fourth quarter with less than four minutes to go, all the Falcons need to do is make it may, maybe get a first down. They don't even necessarily need to get a first down. But mm-hmm. three run plays and a field goal. Mm-hmm give them the game practically and instead they started passing the ball got sacked twice out of field goal range they have to punt and then then they give the Patriots the opportunity that you never want to give Tom Brady and the Patriots when a Super Bowl is on the line and you've got two minutes to get down the field and tie the game so you know as opportunistic as it was for the Patriots I think that the Patriots won despite play calling and coaching, right. and the Falcons mm-hmm. lost because of play calling and coaching. It's it's a good point, and you know, Gabby, um, and Tim and Allison, you know, I like your opinion on this. People, if you remember, that drive began on the ten yard line. Okay, mm-hmm. after a punt, um, there was a very Bright call made by Shanahan where they did, they did a quick check down and he threw the back and the guy went 35 yards uh, on the play, took him out of that hole that they were in. Then there was the phenomenal catch. It was a great pass in so much as it had to be thrown only where Julio Jones could get it. Julio oh, Jones yeah. catches the ball and does a toe drag. Out of bounds, mm-hmm. and you're looking at it and going, "This is a freak." Okay, this guy <laughs> is a freak. Come on, and, uh, and I'm then, sorry. Go ahead. You're thinking nobody can top that. Oh no, mm-hmm. not that. I mean, come on. That's that's just you know that's the they've been you know again they try to take it's a it's a Belichick trait. They try to take your best player, take him out of the game. On that particular play, you know you had. You had um, the guy who won the Most Valuable Player Award in Matt Ryan, the, you know, making a phenomenal pass that could only be caught by one guy, and the one guy who could catch it was the guy who caught it, and that was Julio Jones. So you thought that the momentum at that point in the game was headed back with Atlanta because they had made mm-hmm. four plays in a row that, you know, again – to use an analogy, this was in in many ways that last certainly in the fourth quarter was like a boxing match. I mean, they're just pounding on each other, and um, and I thought at that point the momentum had swung back to where you know, okay, you're going to scare the hell out of me, but I'm still going to win this game. Mm-hmm. I, I then, think you're absolutely right. I will say though, to Gabby's point, that what happened directly after that amazing Julio Jones catch might have been where Atlanta lost the Super Bowl. In Atlanta's last 13 plays of the game, that's across their final three possessions, they ran four run plays out of 13. They had the lead in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. You can't fault Julio Jones for going out of bounds. There was only one way he was ever going to catch that ball. Mm -hmm. But the clock was not Atlanta's friend that drive. They stopped the clock repeatedly, and they ran two plays. At one point, they had 13 seconds on the play clock, clock moving, snap the ball. At another point, they had over 20 seconds on the play clock with the clock moving, and they snapped the ball. I think those kind of play calls, that those little things will add up at the end of the game. Atlanta somehow was out of timeouts by the end of the game. So I, I think that right after that Julio Jones play might have been where the Super Bowl really turned once and for all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think it solidified the Patriots basically on their way to doing what they always do when Julian Edelman caught that unbelievable pass. 
think that was probably the point where it was like, okay, this is now the Patriots game after it had been the Falcons game the entire time. In um, soccer, in the World Cup, there was um, a phenomenal goal that was scored. And um, it happened to be called the Hand of God game. Uh, When Julian Edelman gets his hands under a ball that's laying on a guy's leg, okay, after it had been hit by a Falcons player who almost caught it, I'm pretty sure if you're an Atlanta fan, you're sitting there going, you know, if there's any luck in the world, it didn't fall in our favor on that play. Uh, But to, to... to Edelman's ability to keep focus on a ball that was tipped on three guys who fell on top of him mm-hmm. to a guy mm-hmm. who was under him, and he still keeps the ball from touching the ground until he had control of it, it was just an amazing, phenomenal play by a, uh, by a, a player who just never seemed to quit having plays all day long. Yeah. It was Shades of the Helmet Catch from 2008. (laughs) David Tyree, yeah. Stick it to my helmet. It's like Velcro. It had become a theme with Patriots Super Bowls, especially the ones they lost, that it required some kind of a miracle catch to beat them. There's David Tyree. Mario Manningham made the by far the highlight of his career in the later Super Bowl with the Giants. And when right before the Malcolm Butler play, remember that was set up uh, by a catch by Curse that would have gone down in Super Bowl history had they been had the Seahawks been able to finish off that drive. So it yeah. become a running theme in the Patriots Super Bowls that somebody pulls a rabbit out of their hat in the fourth quarter, and it was never the Patriots until suddenly Julian Edelman made that catch. Which, remember, was only a few minutes after the fantastic Julio Jones catch we were just talking about. Right. Where it looked like it was happening all over again. So we're talking about Edelman's catch, but what about that throw on the trick play? Did anybody catch that? I mean, I know it was incomplete, but he can throw as well. (laughs) Former quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's it's a, it's a typical Belichick move. I mean, he's got he he goes and he gets athletes, and um, yeah. you know it, it's uh, it's a situation. Yeah, he can throw. Uh, there's no question. And uh, and and if you look at it, Brady only went deep once, and he didn't complete it. So the vast majority of of the passes that Brady was making, uh, even as he drove the team down to win, you know, get that tying touchdown, was all thrown in front of the secondary. Mm-hmm. He that secondary had had freaked him out so badly that he wanted to play, you know, figuring, all right, I'll I'll play the linebacker role and I'll play under, I'll throw under, and that's okay with me. And Josh called all under routes. I didn't see Josh call a, uh, an out route all uh, unless unless I missed something. I didn't well, see Josh call a handful of deep balls in the game, yeah. mostly earlier in the game. And Brady just didn't seem like he was his normal self on those deep balls. Yeah. Now, the one thing that has always kind of been the question about Tom Brady, obviously he's risen to these historic levels, but the one thing he's never been particularly great at is the deep ball. Early on in his career, people wondered if he could throw it at all. Then he hooked up with Randy Moss and learned how to throw a vertical pass pretty pretty well, but it's still not the best part of his game, and for a while it looked like the Patriots were going to need that big play to get back in the game. It's kind of remarkable they never, until that Edelman catch, it's remarkable they never really got that big game-changing play. They just kind of whittled away this lead for most of the fourth quarter until suddenly they had the ball with the chance to score and tie. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. The The, the thing is, um, you've got the, 
the speed of the Atlanta secondary, uh, as I was talking about earlier, uh, forced the Patriots to do something that works to their favor, and that is to run those intermediate routes. And that's where you know preciseness becomes important. And that's where you look at Edelman and the other guys that um, I don't think they threw to the tight end in the second in the second half of the Patriots. I think everything was to the slot receiver and the out receivers and and everything I thought was that's why I say they ran a bunch of intermediate routes in large part because they didn't want to challenge Atlanta's incredibly quick and incredibly agile secondary. You're listening to The Pickup Game. I'm your host, Tim Williams. I'm joined by Allison Leslie, Gabby Reyna, and Jim Williams. We're going to come back and talk about Tom Brady and the Patriots' place in NFL history right after this. Welcome back to The Pickup Game. I'm your host, Tim Williams. We are talking about Super Bowl 51 with Jim Williams, Gabby Reyna, and Allison Leslie. I'm going to start with Allison. I, after last night's game, I was trying to figure out some kind of a historical place for the New England Patriots and for Tom Brady. And it's so natural in sports to talk about comparisons historically. The only ones I can come up with are outside of football at this point. That Tom Brady, I think, with this fifth title, rises to the level of a Wayne Gretzky or a Michael Jordan, where when you ask who the best player in that professional sport was, it's really a discussion of who's number two at this point. No, I agree. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm a big Peyton Manning fan. So for me, I've always been more of a, oh, Peyton Manning, I think he's truly the best quarterback. But after watching last night's game and seeing the way that Tom Brady rallied his team back up to win the Super Bowl, and not only that, he became the first quarterback in history with five Super Bowl rings. It's no doubt he's by far the greatest quarterback. And I think you're right. It does come down. At this point, who is second? Is Matt Ryan second? I, I mean, Tom Brady, there's no question. There's No one can argue against it at this point that he's not the greatest. It's remarkable. He now has the NFL record for most titles won, five. If you look at, again, if you look across sports at other historical comparisons, I mentioned Gretzky. Gretzky had four Stanley Cups, so Brady's passed the great one. He's one behind the aforementioned Michael Jordan, who won six titles with the Bulls, and he's been to the final round of his playoffs more than either of those guys now that he's made seven Super Bowl trips. These are things that are supposed to be impossible in the NFL. This is a league that they've been talking about parity for. 20 years now and it just seems like this Patriots team has defied what we kind of expected in the NFL was akin to gravity well I think as far as as football is concerned there's no doubt because I mean he won five but he's been in seven Mm -hmm. so that you know that speaks you have to speak a great deal to that i mean if we're looking at individual honors you know the irony is you know tim you're talking about um going outside of sports right the funny thing about going outside of sports and uh and i know in our in our pre-conversation, Gabby had some interesting things, and I'm going to let her talk about that because I, I really think that's fascinating. But you don't have to go out of Boston to actually look at at you know uh, a possible um, a possible uh, person to look at you know from the standpoint of of, of um, how great in in the case of um, Brady he is, and that would be Bill Russell, who played, of course, as the center for the Boston Celtics. He won 11 championships in his in 13 time. 13 years. In 13 years. Uh, that's not bad. Uh, 11, 11 titles, 13 years. Um, 
is not bad, and he just plays. Uh, what's that, uh, Tim? About fifteen miles to the north of, uh, of Foxborough, maybe twenty-five miles to the north. Yeah, about twenty-five miles, probably about an hour's drive of traffic. Right, Foxborough yeah, exactly. to Boston and Boston to Foxborough has never necessarily been the world's most A pleasant short trip. Drive. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that you bring up those old Celtics because. When I've mentioned this Jordan comparison, and I wrote a column about it this morning, the first reaction a lot of people have had is, yeah, but Jordan was never accused of cheating. Well, it's funny you mentioned Bill Russell and Red Auerbach, because if you hear stories about what Red Auerbach used to do to opponents before home games, it makes what the Patriots did sound downright light. And there's a statue built in the city of Boston for Red Auerbach. So I'm not so sure we can take these transgressions and hold them over anyone. But, you know, it's funny around here, it was all about those transgressions. It was all about revenge, this Super Bowl. I don't really think it was to the players. I think that was entirely imagined by fans, and I'm, it was a lot of fun for them to imagine it. But I think it was entirely imagined. I think this was... This wasn't about revenge. This wasn't about a commissioner. This was about their place in the sports history, like it's always been. You know, Gabby, you had a good point about uh, tennis and the domination of uh, Serena. Why don't you, why don't you share that with us as you did earlier? Oh yeah, I was just saying that, like Tim said, in order to get a legitimate comparison to Tom Brady, you do have to go outside of the sport of sport of football because I mean there's just no one even remotely close to touching what he's done this this far and so what I was saying was on par with players in their own sports like Serena Williams and Tiger Woods where there was just this total dominance for a period of time um, that no one could touch and I think that that's the point that Tom Brady is at right now and he's gotten his fifth ring, and it's almost like what's left to prove because he's proven now that there's no question that he's the greatest quarterback that's ever played in the NFL. And I think even talking about us coaching, coaching as well, I think Phil Belichick has proven to be the same in his realm because I, uh, I know that Tom Brady's been a part of seven and has won five, but uh, Bill Belichick has been a part of ten in some capacity, ten of the 51 Super Bowls and has five rings. So I think both of them can, can honestly say that when it comes to football, they are the greatest together that's ever been, and then the greatest separately as well. Yeah, I don't think there, there'd be much in the way of an argument there because, again, um, Belichick's coached for 17 years as the head coach of the Patriots. But, um, you know, you wonder in some regards from a historic standpoint, and I'd like to hear what you guys think of this, how much longer do you think they want to play anymore? I mean, what's what is there to accomplish anymore for these two guys? Well, that's really the only question because I was thinking about that today and I had to do some quick Googling just to check some ages. When the next season begins, Tom Brady will be 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Bill Belichick is 64 years old right now. I'm not sure how much longer Brady can play. And with football, no one's sure how long anyone can play. This is, after all, a sport where one hit can change everything. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, you look at Brady, and then you look at the late career Peyton Manning after he had the surgeries, after he really started to break down. And what really caught up with Manning were injuries. More than age, it was the fact that he had all these surgeries and they had to really adjust to time that caught up to his body. Tom Brady's only really missed time due to one bad injury that was directly caused by a hit, and it was years ago. He's still a top three active quarterback as of this podcast. I, I don't know if you might take anyone over him right now, but certainly not after last night. He just beat the most valuable player in the league and the most valuable player in the league had a pretty nice night up until that fourth quarter. So how much longer can it last? The only thing that seems to be stopping them is they've always played with this chip on their shoulder and you have to wonder what motivation they have left 
when they've climbed almost every mountain, the only thing left to do is for those two people to tie every other franchise in terms of most Super Bowl titles because the Steelers have six. So they could tie the Steelers between the two of them. But that's about all that's left. I don't I don't know what other motivation. Now they're kings of finding motivation where there's none. But I can only imagine what they could possibly come up with now. Maybe they're looking at Russell's eleven titles. I don't know. <laughs> you know, Brett Favre uh retired when he was forty one and he he suffered a lot of different um injuries as well as Peyton did. I, I don't know how much miles, you know, much, how many more miles, I guess I should say, um, that uh, that Tom wants to put on his body. Um, Bill at 64, I can say one thing about Bill. I can guarantee you he's not going to be an analyst when he retires. Um, <laughs> a lot of things Bill is capable of doing. He might be, you know what? Bill, Bill might because this is something a lot of people don't know. Bill, Bill might take a job as a lacrosse coach. Um, about four years ago, I was at, um, of all things, the Johns Hopkins lacrosse game, and literally sitting two people over from where I was was Bill Belichick, and I probably had my first and only real long conversation with Bill about lacrosse and uh he um he basically his father was a coach at the naval academy and bill grew up around lacrosse as a kid and um he he's fascinated by it so maybe what bill will do is take on uh a job as a, as a lacrosse coach after to see if he can win some national lacrosse championships but i honestly don't I, you know motivation it's it's um gabby when you talked about um about Venus Williams, I, you know, I had a conversation with Chris Everett um, a couple about a year ago, and I, I just said, "What, what, what?" You know, she's past thirty. Both the Williams sisters are in their thirties. Uh, you're not supposed to be this good, this old, mm-hmm. in tennis. You're just not. And you know, God knows, Chris wasn't, and um, and she'll agree. Um, I don't know what motivates you at this point. It can't be, you know, it can't be championships. It can't be, you know, money. It can't be, I mean, you've, you've fame achievement. I, I don't know. What, what do you think motivates these guys, you know, in any sport, like a, like a, uh, like a um, Serena Williams or a Venus Williams or, or any of these folks to go beyond where they've gone because there's really not much more they could do. I think in the sense of, like, Serena Williams, mm-hmm. she wants to be recognized across the board as the greatest tennis player that has ever played. Mm-hmm. And in most circles, I would say that she's in the top three as far as arguable best players that ever did it. Mm-hmm. But I think what keeps her going is that desire to say, man or woman, it doesn't make a difference. I am the greatest player that ever played tennis. Mm-hmm. And I think that for her, that is what's motivating her. And I think she's close. <laughs> well, she's very close because, I mean, Margaret Court's the only one she hasn't gotten, you know, in in wins. And and Margaret Court dominated for such a long time that, you know, it's uh, – but she dominated at a time when, you know, tennis, women's tennis especially, was not – you know, really very competitive. And I'm not taking anything away from Margaret Court. I saw Margaret Court play toward the end of her career. And she was a phenomenal player. But, um, you know, Serena Williams is on a level that just isn't even touchable. Mm-hmm. Okay. As we're starting to starting to wind down a little bit here, I'm going to reference something that Jim wrote last week for Sports Talk Florida. You wrote about the ads. You wrote a little bit of a preview of the advertising during the Super Bowl. Right. So, of course, even though this is a sports podcast, we're all watching the game. We're also watching the ads. So I'll just go around around the horn here and ask, 
who won the um the the whole advertising game? Who, who what's your takeaway? What's the ad you remember from last night that you remember in a positive light, not in a oh that was stupid. I wish I hadn't seen that kind of a light. <laughs> um for me, I would say I there's two that really stood out to me as far as my favorite one was went to Stranger Things. Um, the Stranger Things promo. <laughs> that was a good one. My favorite. I was so excited to see that, and I was so surprised. Um, and as far as just polarizing things that I really stood out to me that I think are re- were really important and um, were were pretty nice. Actually, were two of them. The '84 lumber uh, ad with two people across the Mexican countryside um, that actually crushed their site. I heard. Um, and then the Budweiser commercial. I know that both of them were slightly politicized, but as far as just making a statement and a memorable statement, I think both of those really stood out and were well done. It's hard not to be political these days. It really is. It, it's. I, I think after recent events, it's hard for people to sit on the sidelines. So I, I don't fault people for going a little political this year. Because I think that's where the general mindset is in a way that it's never been before. We used to be defined by our apathy toward those things. I don't think we can say that anymore. So, I mean, you have to address it, whether it's comfortable for everyone or not. It is where our culture is. So, um, and I think I agree with you. I haven't even seen the first season of Stranger Things. That promo reminded me, oh, yeah, I should go watch that. So that, (laughs) that was my takeaway, too. I wasn't a big fan of the Super Bowl commercials this year. Um, to be honest, I was a little disappointed in them. I, yeah. I, like Gabby said, I, I did like, you know, my favorite was the Budweiser. But to be honest, you know, besides that commercial, I don't know if any particular one really stood out to me. Um, and that could be, too, there were a lot of great commercials. But I also, when I think Super Bowl commercials, I also think of, you know, more of like a humorous, um, kind of funny commercial. And I just, I don't really think, I was very disappointed in this year's commercials. I don't think that one truly stood out. If I had to pick a favorite, it would be the Budweiser. Um, But I I was really disappointed in them this year. Honestly, (laughs) the thing that stood out the most, besides obviously the fourth quarter of the game, was Lady Gaga's halftime performance. Yeah. I um I didn't realize I wanted an Alfa Romeo until last night, um, so that must have been a good commercial because it. I didn't um, realize Alfa Romeo was doing well <laughs> enough to sponsor the yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah, well, they're doing well. They they're they're breaking into the American market, so um, that's what they did. And um, kudos to eighty four Lumber for um, having the guts to put together a, a phenomenal spot. One which. Um, uh, originally, Fox uh, chose not to uh, take. Uh, the league then prevailed upon them to accept it, and um, but uh, as part of the deal, the second part of the commercial, which never was aired, was aired, as Gabby said online, and it crashed 84 Lumber's website last night. So. Uh, kudos to 84 Lumber for having the courage to uh, fight against that routine. Uh, memorable, not so much. There was um, two funny ones for me. Um, one was the Ghost of Spuds McKenzie, which was a famous um, dog uh, who was involved in commercials many years ago for Anheuser-Busch. So that was kind of funny to see Spuds McKenzie return. Um, the other one, which I thought was kind of funny, was when John Malkovich couldn't handle that he couldn't get his domain and, and went off and they did a series of commercials about John Malkovich just not being able to get his his, dom- his uh, uh, web domain. So I, maybe I'm just warped. I don't know. But I thought that was kind of funny stuff. And yeah, I'm all for Gaga. I thought she did a fantastic job. And I am so I mean when when USA Today and and I you know I love the people at USA Today, but God, you know, uh, the political 
aspect of Gaga's routine that you didn't see? I mean, what? Uh, seriously? You got to go there with that? I mean, come on. You got to uh, make something out of nothing. She didn't even do the – She. they said that she transitioned from, uh, you know, from the national anthem or America – it was America the Beautiful, right, to This Land is Your Land, which is a famous folk song by Woody Guthrie. And it was the second and third verses of the Guthrie song, which is where – which is what they referenced, and it's like, you know – I'm other than Woody and Arlo Guthrie, I'm not sure anybody even knows the second and third verses to This Land is Your Land. Okay. Um but that is where the you know, that's where the uh, the more political or social concept um aspects of it was. And Gaga never went there. She just transitioned yeah. from one to the other. So, you know, if you want to go and be a hater on it, fine. Go and be a hater on it. But I, I, I don't know where the people at USA Today, were, you know, what they were thinking on that one. Yeah. And I don't think that's the general consensus either. I think the majority of people like the fact that it wasn't political and there mm-hmm. wasn't anything like that. And I also, I'm, I did read that the NFL made her sign a contract that she wouldn't do anything politically charged. So. Yeah, like that stopped people in the past. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But as far as keeping to that, I mean, I think Mm. it did. Hey, just for the record, um, Lady Gaga did not repel from the roof of the building. Okay? That actually was a – that actually was something that happened that was was, um, um, a CGI-type situation. So – she really didn't come down from the sky, but she was on those um, on the um, she was on the uh, harness throughout the evening in her performance, which I thought was pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, very cool. The overnight rating for the um, for the game was forty eight point eight. Um. That's down a fraction of a percentage from 49%, but that doesn't take into account the streaming, and I'm thinking they're going to get over that. So I'm going to say that that game last night, we're probably going to see somewhere in the neighborhood of a final number in the 115, 116 million level. So, um, So, yeah. Uh, good on the uh, Fox got a heck of a rating for that and a tremendous lead into 24 Legacy. You know, it makes me wonder how many people were still watching when the Patriots actually started to come back. This seems like it's going to be one of those things where, you know how they say it at big games that there were a couple hundred thousand people in the stadium because everyone claims they were there? Mm-hmm. I think the fourth quarter of this game for a lot of people is going to be a game that they claim to have watched. But I think a lot of people that might not necessarily care that much might not have been watching with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter when the Patriots were still down by three scores. And who knows if they were going to come back or not. I, I think a lot of people might have tuned out. So I wonder I wonder what the real numbers are for who is watching the fourth quarter versus who claims they've watched the third quarter. Well, I know there was one person who wasn't watching at the very end. Uh, Mark Wahlberg actually left early, um, <laughs> Mr. Boston himself, and didn't see the comeback. Uh, he was too busy planning the movie on it, which is going to come out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Netflix has it already. Um, yeah. All right, I... so as we as we wind down here on the pickup game, I'm going to go around the table for one last time I'm going to ask everyone to give their social media how people can find them how they can reach them and a last thought it didn't even necessarily have to be about last night's game there is a lot of stuff that happened in sports over the weekend lots of nba fair amount of college basketball florida upset kentucky you've got the phoenix open which is maybe not the biggest golf tournament of the year but the loudest so i, I i'd like to hear what Everyone's thoughts on sports are as they go around, and of course, make sure everyone can follow you on social media. We'll start with Gabby Reyna. 
So you can follow me at Gabby Reyna on Twitter. Um, as far as this weekend in sports, uh, go Hideki, back-to-back waste management win in a playoff. He's amazing. I hope he wins a major. And um, I know Lady Gaga was amazing, but I have to say nobody beats Prince. <laughs> Allison so- Leslie, your thoughts? All right, you guys can follow me at AllisonLeslie93 on Twitter. And my thoughts about this past weekend is I wasn't truly a Tom Brady fan before, but I most definitely am now. And I'm a very big fan of Lady Gaga at this point. (laughs) I think she's beating Beyonce for me. Um, You can reach me uh, at WordmanDC on Twitter. And uh, thoughts on the weekend? Uh, It's seldom that a Super Bowl lives up to hype. Uh, this one lived up the hype and surpassed it. So, from that standpoint, it was fun to watch. And you know, anytime you can get a Super Bowl and enjoy it. As for Gaga, I thought she did an outstanding job. Um, and um, I think we will we'll put Prince in a special corner on the side. <laughs> and uh, but Gaga, Gaga delivered, and and that's um, you know she. She made it. She made it really good. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, outstanding weekend all the way around. Can't. Uh, and the good news from my standpoint, I don't watch any of the pregame show. So I got all through this and didn't have to worry about what everybody else thought. So there you go. Thanks, Tim. And you know, for my final thought, a lot of there's a lot of letdown after the Super Bowl. There's kind of a month or two right before March Madness starts where. The games, what games are on in sports just don't seem all that important. There are no majors. There's not the Australian Open's over. The Masters isn't for months. The NBA and NHL playoffs aren't for months. But you know what? There's a little bit of taste of playoff hockey. If you happen to be somewhere that gets a channel called Nesson, or if you're in Canada, it's nationally broadcast in Canada, the Beanpot Tournament is tonight. I'm not going to bore you with too much about college hockey because I know it's kind of a cult thing. But as a Northeastern alum, this is the biggest sporting event of our year. And, of course, I'm going to be rooting for the Huskies. If you like playoff hockey and you just happen to be somewhere that gets that that game, you might want to watch the pair of games tonight. They're always fun. And it's a great cathartic way to get past the post-Super Bowl blues. You can follow me at, at Tim Wright Sports. For Gabby Reyna, Allison Leslie, and Jim Williams, I'm Tim Williams. This is the Pickup Game. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful week. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.